Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application layering product on the market. For a full feature-by-feature comparison of all application layering products, check out whatmatrix.com. And before I get into this week's episode, I'd just like to say a thank you to my friend Stephen Murphy, who hosts his own podcast called the Alleged Wrestling Podcast, which you can find via Twitter, at 2BitWrestling. And if you look at their Twitter timeline, you'll see some similarities with how they tweet out their podcast episodes and how I have started to tweet out mine for the 5 Bytes podcast. Steve's been giving me a lot of tips. He's been really, really helpful. So some of the recent changes, they're they're pretty small changes in some respects, but some of those changes have been influenced by Steve. So I just want to say a quick thank you again, Steve. And now for some news. Sophos Security posted a blog reporting that researcher John Page this week published an article on a proof of concept that exploits a weakness in the way Internet Explorer handles MHTML files. The files could be crafted in a way to ensure on a Windows 7, Windows Server 2012 R2, or Windows 10 machine that no active content or security bar warnings appear when running a malicious code embedded within the MHTML file. At this moment, there is no patch that addresses this. And in the article, Sophos took the chance to advise organizations who have moved to Windows 10 to just disable IE11 if they do not use it. It's worth repeating that Microsoft's Chris Jackson posted an article a few months ago suggesting that IE11 should no longer be anybody's primary browser and advises the use of a modern browser instead be that Chrome or whatever browser suits your needs. And if you've been following the podcast over the last few weeks, you'll be aware that a preview just launched for the Chromium-based Edge browser. Early indications suggest that it's a pretty good browser. It's pretty favorable over Internet Explorer today. And those who were using Chrome as their primary browser on Windows 10 have suggested that They could see themselves using this Chromium-based Edge as their primary browser going forward. It looks like we'll have a roadmap to migrate to a modern browser in Windows 10 in the near future. India Times have reported that Wipro have confirmed that they have experienced a security breach and that the attackers have leveraged data to launch attacks on some of the firm's clients. At this time, it is assumed this attack was state-sponsored and spanned several months before detection. A WePro representative stated, quote, We detected a potentially abnormal activity in a few employee accounts on our network due to an advanced phishing campaign. Upon learning of the incident, we promptly began an investigation, identified the affected users, and took remedial steps to contain and mitigate any potential impact. An independent forensics team has been engaged to assist WePro with the investigation and to shore up their systems. If you're not familiar with WePro, they are very popular for providing a variety of IT services. Most listeners of the podcast have most likely worked with them before. I know in my experience, when working on migration projects, they usually come in as one of the cheapest 
companies providing those services. At this time, it's reported that at least a dozen clients have been targeted. And for bloggers out there, a major WordPress exploit has been reported on this week. This was with a plugin called Yellow Pencil Visual Theme Customizer, which contained a privileged escalation bug, which allows attackers to run malicious code, such as by injecting unauthenticated SQL that could do some very nasty things and basically hand over control of your site to these attackers. And that's exactly what happened to multiple sites running the plugin. BleepingComputer.com reported that the Yellow Pencil attack was part of a larger campaign from a single bad actor. WordPress removed the plugin on Monday, and a new updated patched version of the plugin is now available for those who do require it. Sticking with more security news, Microsoft's Chris Jackson, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, posted an article about Microsoft's curated list of security considerations as part of a Windows 10 security baseline. A draft of this document has been released on Microsoft's Docs sites, and they are asking for feedback to help shape this further. So if you're rolling out Windows 10 and you're creating your security baseline, definitely check this out. If you're security-minded and want to assist to make this as good as it can be, definitely check it out. In what feels like a long-running trend now, ZDNet has reported this week of a Cisco warning related to a critical router flaw. If you use the ASR 9000 series aggregation services routers, you'll want to install the available patch to address a critical flaw that can be exploited remotely without user credentials. The patch has addressed 29 new vulnerabilities, the worst of which could lead to exploitation of a listener on the devices to launch a denial of service attack. This vulnerability uses the secondary management interface, so if you have an ASR 9000 series router but don't have the secondary management interface configured, you should be fine, but still, it's worth patching to address all of the 29 new vulnerabilities that have been listed. Droplet Computing has been launched. I had the opportunity to try this out for myself, so a blog post is likely in the near future. What is it and what can it do? Well, for my testing, I worked with an XP SP3 container, Windows XP that is. It was all very simple. I started with a pretty bare XP image, installed a few old applications into it like Photoshop CS2 and Comic Chat just for fun, and then I published those apps out. And essentially, this XP container was running natively on my Windows 10 or Mac OS systems. And when I launched the client, I have these published applications in this little portal, kind of like the uh, old Citrix Dazzle receiver or the Dazzle feature in the Citrix receiver. And they just launch embedded within the frame of the client portal running within this XP image. It has been claimed that these containers have been pen tested by security experts. And it's not just limited to XP. You can use it to run several legacy Windows operating systems and eventually possibly Windows 7. If you have stubborn apps that just won't go away, this could finally be an agile solution to allow you to get away from a potentially less secure old physical implementation, like sticking, I don't know, a Windows 2000 machine running in the basement just off the domain or something like that. This should be more agile and hopefully more secure. Google Cloud have announced the alpha of a managed service for Microsoft Active Directory. 
They promise a highly available hardened Google Cloud service running actual Microsoft AD that enables you to manage your cloud-based AD-dependent workloads, automate AD server maintenance and security configuration, and extend your on-premises AD domain to the cloud. So it kind of sounds like native AD support similar to Microsoft Azure Active Directory. So that's pretty interesting that Google is going there. In my experience up to this point, it seems like Google Cloud, while popular for the G Suite for those particularly in academia, has specialized or focused on cheap compute, particularly for running microservices. So embracing Microsoft AD could extend their capabilities in the future. Thomas Poppelgaard at poppelgaard.com reported on a release of NVIDIA vGPU version 8 this week. Thomas painstakingly lists all supported operating systems and platforms. So for example, vSphere version 5.5 will not be supported, which is fair enough. Uh, Zen Server 7.5 is not supported, which I thought was a little surprising. Um, he's got much more information than this on what is supported, what's not supported, including some information on some of the new features brought by this major release. Since this is Thomas's own personal blog, I don't want to cover all the details on this podcast, but I'll encourage you to check out his post for yourself, which I will share with this episode, which is episode 68 on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. You may also notice that I am now featuring a link to these resource links or reference links with each episode on various different podcast platforms like SoundCloud, just right in the description. And now for this episode's weekly webinar. AWS will be holding a webinar on the 24th of April at 11.30 a.m. that will cover compliance considerations for the public sector and education. If you work in these sectors and maybe still believe that the cloud is dangerous for your data and would have your organization out of compliance, this could be an eye-opener for you. And now for this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. My fellow Irishman David Wilkinson at WilkieIT.com posted an update to his awesome deep dive into Citrix Cloud Plus Azure Cost Calculator. The tool takes input including total number of users, storage type, IOPS, and asks which of the Citrix components are required and much more. It then takes your inputted data and plots it out quite granularly and extensively showing cost by item including cost per month for say your delivery controllers, database, Netscaler, storefronted, etc. It'll tell you how much the compute, storage, and network will cost, itemized, and much more. Some of the data is also plotted into pivot charts, highlighting where the biggest cost is per month. If you're a fan of the podcast and you'd like to be kept up to date on some of my different blog posts and content that I put on RoryMon.com, head over to 5bytespodcast.com or RoryMon.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you'll be able to sign up for my newsletter. I only send it out maybe once or twice a year, and the reason I'm mentioning it now is because I'm thinking about sending one out in the next week or two. So if you'd like to get that email, definitely sign up. And that's it for another week. Thank you guys so much for listening.